0: And this is the key right here. This is the key to repentance. Verse three, for I acknowledge my transgression. What does he say? I know that what I did was wrong. I'm guilty. You're right, I'm wrong. There's humility, that takes humility to say that I'm wrong. I'm wrong, God, I did it wrong. I I didn't, I shouldn't have done this. I knew your line and I crossed it, but God, forgive me, please. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. 2 Samuel, chapter 12, and then Psalm 51. So, as you know, uh, or if you don't know, we're going through the book of Psalms, and uh, we're in the 51st chapter tonight, and. Um, We've been looking at uh, just the different Psalm writers. Uh, Asaph was a couple of weeks ago and uh, different stuff like that. So um, the theme is still prayer and praise. And this tonight is a prayer of David and it comes on the cusp of a very serious uh, time in his life. And so we want to, uh, we're gonna, The okay. Just disclaimer, so. The, the topic that we're gonna to cover tonight um, is, is a heavy one. So just be prepared. We're all adults. And uh, so I may say some words that, I'm not gonna cuss or anything, but I may say some words that you're like, whoa, um, he just said that word. And uh, that makes me feel kind of uncomfortable. Um, I don't know why, but I feel like my task or the task that has been handed to me as the Young Adults Pastor is always to talk about sex And it's not because I'm trying to get more people to come. Okay. It's not like that's my gimmick. Like, hey, that's the word. That's where they talk about it. Um, Like, you should go, man. Talks about how to get a wife and like all that. Although that does happen, but um, that's not the main goal or like what I'm trying to do. And so I just want to, I don't want to start by saying I'm not, we're not doing this for shock and awe. Um, or or anything like that. I'm not trying to be edgy. If there's anything that I'm not, it's edgy. Um, So, but this is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. And I think it's good to, um, it's good for us to understand what the Bible teaches when it comes to sexuality. We live in a very hyper-sexualized society um, that can swing us to either side of the pendulum of sexuality where it's uh, it's something that there is no limit to and uh, the church is even going that way where um, there's there's no rules and that's just simply not what the Bible teaches but the Bible also does not teach that it's something that um, is wrong okay and so we're gonna try to that's a tough balance so we're going to try our best this evening, and if, if there's anything I say tonight, I just want to, you are more than welcome to come and argue with me, or <laughs> not argue, but like if you have a, a different view, like let's talk about it, I, it won't hurt my feelings at all. Um, we are not a church, we are a Bible study, so um, so again, the, I'm open for discussion, and and of course like prayer, so like if you need prayer, like let's pray about it. Not, not just that tonight's going to cause arguments, I hope it doesn't, but um, it, we try and keep things biblical, and that's what we're going to try and do this evening, and uh, that was my announcement for the night. Uh, then the other announcement is, some of you have been like, oh, we're switching to Mondays, and uh, we are, but not till the new year. So we'll finish out the month of November, a uh, break for the month of December like we usually do, and then it'll kick back up again in January uh, on Monday night, so so uh, it'll be uh, TBD or whatever to be determined. I hear that's an acronym uh, or something like that. So that that's going to be changing, and just uh, just to give you guys a heads up, but not till the end of November. So I want to say yes. It, it, the cement has been poured. I'll just say that. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's hardening. Um, so, all right, let's pray. Actually, why don't, we all, why don't we all stand for the reading of God's word? So we're going to read first out of Psalm 51. I'm just going to read it to you. You don't have to read with me. But I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray, and we'll sit. Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, and according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge." Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me by your generous Spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Let's pray. Lord, We, as we come to your word tonight, we come to it understanding, Lord, that you desire to reveal your heart to us. And um, Jesus, we just pray, that you would teach us and lead us and guide us through this, Lord, as we are in a, a very confusing time, um growing up it's a it's a very confusing time to be growing up and solidifying beliefs. And so God, we pray tonight that you would bring things again under the scope of your word and God, that we would view our lives through your word, and um, Lord, to do as it says. And, and, Jesus, we desire to draw closer to you tonight. And, and Lord, we want to be open to um, the leading of the Holy Spirit, God, that you would touch hearts, Lord, like only you can. Lord, I can't convince anyone of their need. Only you can. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would convince us again of your love for us, convince us again of our need for you. And, and God, we just pray that you would uh, move powerfully among us this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Psalm 51, it comes on the heels, as you might have seen in uh, kind of the intro underneath the, the text there. It says, a prayer of repentance to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, that story, the setting of that story, is in 2 Samuel chapter 12. So you've had your finger there. We're just going to read a little bit of it. You may know this story. Um, You may not know this story. And so we just want to put it in its proper setting so that we can all be on the same page of understanding. Um, And that is, in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he, had been, which he had brought or bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him, bless you, and with his children. It ate at his table, he ate his own food and drank with his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to a rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did, not, he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and you gave the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite." with the sword and you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Amnon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. David, um, one of the things that we know of David in scripture is he is called a man after God's own heart. He wrote countless, countless worship songs. But David was not immune to an overt sexual appetite. Like, like any other person, he had um, an issue. He had an issue with, with sex, and, and it was something that plagued his life. Um, and, in this instance, the setting of this psalm is off of this story, and if you don't know the finer details of the story, David was supposed to go off to battle. It was the time where kings would do that, and he decided to stay back and As he stayed back, woke up from a nap, went out on his his porch there and he's overlooking the city and there is a woman bathing on her roof, and it's funny that her name's Bathsheba, and she was taking a bath and it's like, what did, oh my gosh, you know, is that how she got her name and Whatever, we don't know. Here's what we do know, is that David lusted after her, and he sent men to bring her to the house. Um, and there's a lot of speculation, like she did it on purpose, or like she only went because he was a man of power and all this stuff. Okay, The text doesn't say that. All it says is that a man lusted after a woman, went and got her, brought her to the house, they slept together, she got pregnant, and David goes, oh no. Oh, no. So he tries to cover his tracks. He brings Uriah home from battle. He was out fighting for the king, for king and country. It's a terrible band. But he's out there fighting, right? They are. So they're out fighting. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, And so David calls him home. And David's like, why don't you go? Hey, man, what's up, Uriah? So glad you're back. Why don't you go home and hang out with your wife? (laughs) and Uriah was such a a godly man he's like how can I do that like my friends are out fighting and I'm going to go home and spend the night with my wife like I don't think so and so he slept on the porch of the king's house and so David got even craftier and he's like I know what I'll do I'll get the guy drunk then he'll certainly go home and hang out with his wife sleep with her and then you know, we could say it's his baby gets him drunk and Uriah passes out can't make it home, and so the next day, premeditatedly, David writes a letter to the head general and tells him, "When Uriah comes, I want you put him in the front of the battle, the heat of the battle, and when the archers come up on the wall, I want you to pull everyone back except him." Some believe that Uriah delivered the note himself, his own death sentence, which is just so jacked. Okay, and that's what happened. Uriah is killed, and David, being the man that he is, this upstanding citizen, says, you know what? He had a wife. I'll take her into my house. I'll take care of her. I'll provide for her. Okay, and so that's the scene, and David lives with this sin for months. He's living in this kind of secret sin that's going on, and it's here that Nathan confronts him. And he does it in a way, which prophets were so cool. They would just say whatever God told them to. But he shows up and he's like telling him this story. And David begins to see his sin fleshed out in a different way. And as he sees it, he's disgusted with it. In fact, he says, I know exactly what that guy deserves. He deserves death. He deserves death, man. That Just like, just like I do. That guy deserves death. And Nathan tells him, man, you're the guy. This is what you've done. And David pens this psalm in his repentance to the Lord. The psalm is written as a personal song of repentance to the Lord, but yet used by the Lord as a public display of what repentance looks like. What repentance looks like. Repent means to turn the other way. It means to go the opposite direction. And so that's what we're looking at tonight. But there's three things we want to look at specifically this evening. And that is, number one, the main message of the Bible on sexuality is not prevention, it is redemption. That is the main message of the Bible when it comes to sexuality. Sexual sin, number two, sexual sin without repentance will damage or destroy your faith. Plain and simple. And number three... Repentance restores our relationship with God, okay? So I don't know where you're at in life and what's going on in your life, but um, it doesn't matter if you're married, if you're single, if you're engaged, if you're, uh, whatever you, whatever you, wherever you're at in life, like, this applies to, to us. Because all of us are given a sense of sexuality. It's, what we're, it's built into us. And this existed pre-fall, and we'll get to that in a minute. But first of all, we want to tackle this, this thought of the message of, of sexuality in the Bible is, per, is redemption, not prevention. The Bible is not a sexual textbook, okay? It's not why you read it. It's not like, well, what does it say about, you know, that stuff. It's not a sexual textbook, but what it teaches on sexuality is the greatest teaching on sexuality that can exist, because it is written by the one who made us, and the one who placed into us this desire, and it's actually the guy who set up factory settings. Like the factory settings of who we are, it's, it's written by him. It's like the manual guy who invented it and wrote it. And so if anyone's going to explain how it's to be made, or how it's to be used, it's him. So the Bible does not teach that virginity is the pinnacle of human sexuality, Okay, it's really quiet in here, and it's really warm. The Bible does not teach that virginity is the pinnacle of human sexuality, and let me explain that. Genesis tells us that God made man and woman and told them to be fruitful and to multiply. This is pre-fall. This is pre-fall. That two should become one flesh. God's design in sexuality and giving it to both male and female was that that would bring them to this relationship and closeness that would pale in comparison to anything else in the world. Like the the deepest form of relationship. Um, And and that's why the main message of, of sexuality, according to the Bible, it's redemption. It's not prevention. Okay, it's not just saying like, never go there. Ever, ever, never, ever, never, never, ever. Right? In junior high, that's like all I ever heard. It's like, don't think about it. Don't think about thinking about it. Don't, you know, don't even go there. And I think it's, it was done with, with care of like, this actually has repercussions to your whole life, which is absolutely true. It's what the Bible teaches. But the Bible also doesn't teach that virginity is the pinnacle. Like, that's what I need to be. If I could just stay that until I'm married, oh, I've made it. I'm righteous. I'm holy. Like, I've done it. Homeschool high five, like, yay me. Hey, that's not the pinnacle. That, that's not what, it, what we're after. When all we're taught about sex is that it's destructive, then that's a disaster. Because the Bible teaches about the pitfalls of unchecked and unsubmitted sexual desire. A, a desire that never comes under the authority of God's word. If, if that's the case and you separate sexuality from all the rest of your Christianity and you're like, okay, I'll follow God. But like this part of my life and who I am, like has no relation in that way. God doesn't talk about it. Oh, yes, he does. And he has such a wonderful plan and desire for you in that. Like God created it. It's, it's his design. And so if all we ever think about is the the destructive side of it and how it's bad or how it can lead us astray, then yeah, that's a disaster. It It forms in us this misunderstanding of sexuality. But it also, the Bible teaches the good of sexuality. That it's good, it's a gift, that it's powerful. Therefore, like anything that's powerful, it comes with an instruction manual and parameters right? When you buy a chainsaw, it comes with instructions that you should read. Why? It's powerful. You can cut your arm off. Like super easy. Um, Not that I've known from experience, but like that would be horrible. That's a very powerful thing in your hands. And so there's instructions. There's a way for it to be used. And there's also ways that it's not to be used. And let us not forget that this pre-fall call and invention of sexuality, it has been affected by sin just like anything else in the world. All of it has been affected by sin. And so when we bring it back under the authority of God's word, we're bringing it back to the garden factory settings of which God designed it for. So the reason, the reason being, if if we only think of sexuality as something to be suppressed, Although on the outside, we may achieve purity, it doesn't change the inside, right? If we just suppress that, and it's not like, I'm not even going to allow that to be a part of my life. Guys, that's not prevention either. Suppression often leads to this, like, as soon as you get some freedom, you are out, like, going crazy. Someone winks at you, and you're like, that's it, that's it, did it. <laughs> whoo swiping or whatever like you suddenly like because you've suppressed it and not addressed it and not allowed it to come under and be a part of who you are as a christian in Jesus Christ then guess what you've separated that from the rest of who you are it's a part of who we are it's god invented god intended and so suppression of it doesn't bring about the proper understanding of it either so what is the proper understanding? What are we supposed to do with this? Some people are like, what do I do with same-sex attraction? What do I do with, with the fact that like, I have no attraction? Like, I don't really care about it. It's not really a desire of my life. I don't, I'm not really in that hyper mode. And some people are like, I can't think about anything else. Anything. Everything. She could wear a trash bag. Doesn't matter. I'm just, my imagination or whatever. Pornography has twisted me up so bad. Like, I can't unsee what I've seen. And so what do I do? Well, the Bible talks about it. And the reason we're bringing this up is because of what happened to David. Right? So this is not just off some crazy, like, you know what, I really want to talk about this tonight. So I'll find some text and, and I'll just make it about that. So everyone thinks I'm cool. This is not cool. None of this is cool. I don't, <laughs> I want to go home. But um, <laughs> so suppression doesn't work either. Although on the outside, we may achieve purity, it doesn't change the inside. So using shame to achieve success is not the gospel. Using shame like, like you know, it, it doesn't change anything. Although you may achieve some outward thing, like you're messed up on the inside. It also changes your view of the gospel. So who, you know, that old thing, I remember as a kid, um, and I think it was meant well, and it was, it got the picture across, like, the pastor had like a cup of water and like six kids on the stage. It was like, drink out of this, drink out of this, drink out of this. And had them all drink. And then he spit in it this like nasty, nasty chocolate. Like he put chocolate into it. It was like, here, and hand it to the next kid. And they're like, I don't want that. And he's like, see, purity. Like who wants to drink this? And the gospel says that Jesus does. Jesus does. Like, that's that's where we have to understand, um, I don't know, crazy stuff. <clears throat> See, who wants to do this for a living? Nobody does. <laughs> But isn't that so many people you've talked to? Like, who wants to be with me? Like, I'm damaged. So, like, I can't do that. I can't be a part of that. Or who's going to want me? i got to hide all this stuff and suppress it and suppress it and suppress it. And Jesus is saying, that's what I died for. Like, that's what it's all about. Like, to bring even that, like, even that stuff. And he's like, yeah. Did you know that I, I know all about it? Like, you can't hide it from me. It's like Adam and Eve in the garden when they were buck naked and, like, hiding. And God's like, where are you? <laughs> and they're like, we did it. <laughs> we hid. <laughs> it's, like, it's not like they were actually hiding anything, right? And they're like, we're, we were naked and we got scared. And God's like, hey, who told you that? Like, who told you that? Why were you ashamed all of a sudden? You see, shame is a, a tool that the devil uses. And and sexuality is something that the devil uses to shame us into even a further pit away from God. Like I'm already on this road, I'm already like so trapped, like there's never getting out of it. I'm so ashamed of it. Like like nothing else, it brings that kind of shame. And so it pushes you even further and further away from God. And God's saying, that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel says that Jesus wants you, he knows you, he loves you, he died for every one of your sins. All of them. All of them. It's crazy. That's the the love of God. And that's what the Bible tells us. It's not about just prevention. It's about redemption. So if you've made mistakes and you've screwed up and like gone down that road and now you're like, I'm trying to walk with God and so I'm just trying to prevent, like I'm on defense all the time. Do you know that God wants to redeem your sexuality back to make, and to come under his authority? To, to, to say that it's, it's not the end? Like your sexuality is not who you are. Guys, it's not who you are. You are much more than that, aren't you? You are much more than who you're attracted to. And to make up your whole identity based on who you're attracted to, you are cheapening the image of God in which you were created in. You're more than that. Don't sell out. Don't sell yourself short. Understand that you're created in the image of God, loved by him, designed by him, given a future and a hope, saved by his grace and by his own blood. Don't cheapen it. Don't let the devil cheapen it. And tell you, that's all you were placed on this earth for, is that drive. Figure that out. Embrace that in totality. And when you do, you'll finally be happy. I can tell you it's not going to do it. You're like, oh, if I could just get married, like this will satisfy that. No, it won't. No, it won't. It's an appetite that is, it's not satisfied in this life. You know, someone asked D.L. Moody, like one time, "This old, he's old. When will you stop lusting? Like, when did you stop lusting after women? And he said, when it happens, I'll let you know. (laughs) Like, it's not that something just turns off. Or like, once you get married, you're like, I'm good. I'll stop looking at porn now. No, you won't. No, you won't. That's why the, the idea of like the secular bachelor party is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Like, we'll get it all out of our system in one night. Like, just strippers and, like, Vegas and woo! And, like, we'll get it all out of our system at once. Like, all I needed was that one night of craziness and, and uninhibited, like, just doing whatever I want, and there there it is. Now I'm ready to settle down. Are you kidding me? What a lie that is. But what, is, what happens within marriage is that you have to learn... I think all of us, in what we're learning now, before you're married or engaged or whatever, you are learning to to steward your sexuality towards that person you'll be married to. You have to take care of it. Because it's not for you, it's for the person that you'll be married to. Right? It's a gift that you give to them. It's something that is to draw you closest together. It's something that God says is blessed and it's worshipful within the parameters in which God lays out. That's why when the Bible talks about sexual morality, if you're like, well, what does that mean? Like, what, is, what does that really mean, sexual immorality? Paul got sick of all the, like, detailed questions, like, you know, that we, that we try and do. Well, we're like, what about this? Like, is that sexual morality or is this? And he's like, you know... What about this act? Is like that too far, right? Like how far is too far? Like is this too far? Is that too far? It happened in Corinth. Paul's like, you know what? Here, we're just going to address everything right now. If it doesn't happen within the confines of the covenant marriage between a man and a woman, if it's not happening in there, it's outside of it. Therefore, it's sexual immorality. He's like, done? We're done? What about, was it done within the covenant of marriage with a man and a woman? Well, Technically, technically, like we're going to be married. Are you married within the covenant of marriage? No, it's sexual morality. You're outside of it. Done. Like, we're not going to go against, you know, well, is, you know, Frenching or whatever. Like, is that okay? Like, can we hold hands? Like, can I side hug? Can I, you know? <laughs> Paul's like, no. Covenant. He's like, everything within the covenant? Booyah. Be blessed, my friends. But outside of that, he's like, sexual morality. And the Christian is, is to not, have nothing to do with that. And so he gives, gives us the guidelines. And, and that's why I think some of us, we get so confused and we, and we start down this path. And, and so that's why the Bible brings us back. Jesus wants that. He wants the, that, that part of us that we so often neglect from him or, or hide it from him. And that's why I love in John chapter seven, verse. Uh, in John chapter seven, it goes into chapter eight. It's the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. The details of that of that section is that she was actually caught in the physical act of adultery. Meaning, there was a man in the room too. But they grab her, probably half dressed. They bring her out and they throw her there, half naked, in front of Jesus. And they said, "This woman was caught in adultery." Moses' law tells us that we should stone her. What do you say? And yeah, stone the guy too, right? The guy should be, you know, the guy was committing adultery too, but somehow the guy got away. But here's where Jesus stoops down in the sand and just begins to write in the sand. And one by one, every one of those guys who had picked up a rock starts to walk away and they disappear. And Jesus picks her up. Um, It's such a powerful story because Jesus says to her, woman, where where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Jesus reassures her with words of grace and truth. He says, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. There are none. And he says, neither do I condemn you. The one person who could condemn her, who was sinless, says, I don't condemn you. I don't. But what does he say to her? Here's the truth part of the statement. Go now and leave your life of sin. He says to her, it's redeemed. I don't condemn you, but repent turn from it don't keep doing that recognize the wonderful grace that's been shown and to leave it to walk away from it Jesus now offered her a new life in forgiveness he says go now like you're free but you should lead it should lead to holiness in the newness of life he says leave your sin or leave your life of sin And that's why the story of, or or the main narrative of the Bible when it comes to sexuality is not just prevention. It is redemption. It is redemption. Have you made a mistake? Have you you gone down a path you know you shouldn't? You know the Bible teaches that when you're like, but hey, whatever, it doesn't matter. It does matter. And I'm going to explain to you why it matters. But it's not just about prevention. It's about redeeming that back under the authority of God. Right. Number two is that sexual sin without repentance will damage or destroy your faith. And this one's a little heavier. If you turn to the book of Judges, we're going to look a little bit at the life of Samson. Samson, the strongest dude who ever lived, had a lady problem. Big one. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, anyway. (laughs) Yeah, if you look at the story of Samson, turn to Judges chapter 16, if you have your Bible. And Samson is given an origin story. Now, there's only a few origin stories in the Bible, meaning from birth till the end of their life. And when it does that, that's usually a big deal. right, the story of Samson is the story of a man who is destroyed by his vices, and he wanted, uh, it says in chapter 16, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there, nope, that's the wrong verse, I didn't want to read, chapter 14, we'll come to that in a second, chapter 14, it says, uh, this is Samson speaking, right, he has a Nazarite vow, he's not supposed to marry a a woman of the Philistines, but what does he say, I've seen a woman in Timnah, the daughters of the Philistines, now therefore get her for me as a wife. He saw a woman that he wanted. Turn over to chapter 16, verse 1. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there, and he slept with her. So he lusted after her, another woman. He's supposed to be married at this point. And then you go further down to chapter 16, verse 4. It says, afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah, who also was a harlot and a prostitute. Salmon, uh, salmon. <laughs> is rich with omega-3s. No, Samson, <laughs> <laughs> Samson, um, first of all, he wanted a woman. Then he lusted after a woman. And then, <laughs> and then he like just fully shacks up and loves this woman who you who shouldn't have anything to do with. She's a Philistine. She's the enemy. And there he is, like I'm in love. I'm in love. And it was through this relationship, I don't know if you if you know the story of Samson, uh, but he was so addicted to his sexual sin with Delilah that he would give up what was most sacred for him. He was so addicted to it that he could not overcome it. And so every time she asked him, tell me the secret of your strength, he's like, oh, baby, no, I can't do that. And she's like, please. He's like, well, if I, if I don't tell her something, like I'm not going to be able to, well, I'll give her something. And so he starts Getting closer and closer. And remember what he tells her: If you weave my hair into seven, you know the seven uh, braids of my hair. If you put it through a weave, um, then I'll lose my strength. He gets closer and closer, and finally he tells her, "The secret of my strength is my hair," which is not even true. Do you know the secret? To Samson's hair, or to Samson's strength, was not his hair. I'm having a rough time tonight. The secret of Samson's strength was not his hair. It was God. Okay? And it was there that she shaves his head. Shaves it clean. And the saddest verse of, of this story is when he says, she says to him, The Philistines are upon you. Verse 20. So he awoke from his sleep, and he said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him. They put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, and they bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. That, that's the worst part. She shaves his head. He jumps up, and he's like, I'll do like I've always done. I'm going to kick butt because I'm amazing. He had no idea that the Lord had left him. And it was at that moment, the cold air finally hit his head for the first time in his entire life. Every year I get this weird thing and I'll shave my beard off. And the first time I do it, like wind will hit my face and it is the scariest, weirdest feeling. After months of like not feeling that, I can't imagine his whole life, he never felt that. And then boom, one day the cold air hits his head and he's like, Something's not right. He didn't get to see much. They took his eyes out. And they brought him to a prison. They hooked him to a a grinding wheel. And that's where Samson just walked in a circle, blind, pushing a wheel, crushing grain, just like an animal. Samson was blind long before he took his eyes out, though. His lust and sexual desire had blinded him. And now that he was physically bound to this mill, he was bound the whole time, shackled and going in circles in sexual sin. And this is what an unrepented, this is what unrepented sin looks like. It looks like that. But look at the end uh, at verse 22 in chapter 16. This is one of the greatest sentences ever. However, the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Right? Right after, like this horror, like, oh my gosh, what happens? However, there's redemption that's coming because God is good and God is gracious. Like in the sin that he committed, God still didn't, he didn't say that your sexual desire, it, it was something that had, had become the greatest part of who he was. He's like, can I not redeem that and change that and save you from that? And that's why the Bible does warn us, guys, about the danger of sexual immorality. It doesn't say, like, yeah, it's fine, and it's no big deal. Like, it's not about, it's not about um, prevention. It's about redemption. Like, it's okay. You can do whatever you want. No, that's not the message of the Bible. The Bible says if you made mistakes, there's redemption for you. Absolutely. God wants to use that. It's a part of who you are. But the Bible also warns against unrepented sexual sin. Like, if you keep on going... 1 Corinthians 6, 8, 18, it says, flee from sexual immorality. What is he saying? Run, like run from it. Don't like dance around with it and think it's okay and like, oh, just hide it all. What's he saying? Run. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. It seems like, I'm not even gonna get into it, but that's a gnarly verse. So Paul's instruction for us is Run. Like, don't, don't go there because of, of the damage that it can cause when it's not under the authority of God and, and being stewarded under the authority of God. That's why First Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and 5, it says, For this is the will of God. If you've ever asked, God, what is your will for my life? Well, he wrote it down. He says this, this is God's will for your life, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality what does that mean? Like how far is too far? Is it outside of the covenant of God that he said marriage between man and a woman? Is it an act outside of that? Then that's sexual immorality. And so he says, don't do that. That's don't do that. Crazy, crazy simple. He just defines it easy for us. And listen, why? It's not because it's not fun. Not because it doesn't feel good, not because you're not in love with that person, but because, because. Like, that's like taking fire out of your fireplace and like juggling with it in your house. And you're like, it's totally fine. I got this. Check this out. You know, whatever. Right? Fire in a fireplace, oh, it warms us. It brings light. You can drink your coffee next to it, pumpkin spice latte. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's fall. It's below 78, I can finally turn on my fireplace, right? The minute fire gets outside of the fireplace, that's a major issue. You're calling the fire department, right? The same thing, Like, sexuality has a proper parameter. And within that parameter, God says it's so enjoyed, it's so blessed, it is a gift, it's for you, But, man, when it gets outside of that, it has the potential for disaster. That does not mean that there are people who haven't fallen into that and Christian people that that have wonderful marriages and they're fine. Like, yeah, but sometimes that's the exception to the rule. Like, it doesn't always end that way. So we want to take it serious. The Bible teaches that sexuality outside of marriage, of one man and one woman, is dangerous and destructive, but the answer is not suppression. But we also cannot throw out what the rest of the Bible says about it. Okay, There's a balance to it. And the last thing we're going to cover this evening is repentance. So turn back to Psalm 51. I know we're kind of not expositionally teaching this evening. And you're like, what is this, Calvary? What is this guy not teaching verse by verse? How dare he? It's going to be okay. Because now I'm going to. Look at what this says. Have mercy upon me, O God. Remember, this is David who premeditatedly murdered the husband of the, wife, of the woman he was having an affair with. Okay, Just have that in your mind. And what does he say? Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to your multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. He comes to God and he says, God... I just want to ask, would you please be merciful to me? Do you understand? you see the humility here? The man who was once just super prideful in his own sin, like, I got away with it, no one knows. And suddenly it's finally seen, and he goes, oh, man, I've been so lost. According to your loving kindness, God, would you be merciful to me? Why why did David say that? Because he knows that God has loving kindness, and he is merciful. And so he says, God, would you please forgive me? Blot out my transgression. Meaning, would you take that pen and just blot it all out so it's all gone? Like, you can't see it anymore. Can you do that for me? Because it's not just these sins. Oh, man, there's so many. Transgression, it means to go past the line. Like, I, I know where God's line is, and I've crossed it. I've crossed it. That means to transgress, and he's saying, God, I, I knew where the line was, and I crossed it, but God, can you forgive me? And then he says, wash me thoroughly of my iniquity. Iniquity is something, a sin that talks about the, the changing of the identity. It means that my, my identity has changed because I'm so intertwined in my sin that it's become a part of who I am. And he says, God, can you rip that out from me and recreate me again? Wash me Wash it off if you can and cleanse me from my sin. And this is the key right here. This is the key to repentance. Verse three, for I acknowledge my transgression. What does he say? I know that what I did was wrong. I'm guilty. You're right. I'm wrong. There's humility. That takes humility to say that I'm wrong. I'm wrong. God, I did it wrong. I I didn't, I shouldn't have done this. I knew your line and I crossed it, but God, forgive me, please. And he says, I've sinned in that transgression and that knowledge of what I've done. It's with me every single day. Well, look what he says. It is always before me. Like I see it like it's the first time it's ever happened. Time has not been kind to me. It's only made it worse and worse and worse. And I carry it every single day. And he says to him, "Uh, against you and you alone have I sinned. Wait a second. I'm sure Uriah is like, wait a second. I'm pretty sure I am. I should be getting an apology card in the mail any day now because you pretty much screwed up my entire life. So I'm pretty sure you sinned against me. But David, he doesn't say that. He says, God, it's, it's between you and me first. Like, I broke your law. And when I broke your law, it affected all these other people. So, God, would you forgive me? I can't, I've sinned against you. I've done evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth. He says, I have this sin nature. It's a part of who I am. He says, behold, your desire truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. He says, that's what you desire is truth in my heart, not just on my actions, on the outside. What you want is, is truth and righteousness on the inside. And David says, I can't do anything about that. Right? I can do all the outside things. I can make apologies. I can make sacrifices. I can go to the families. I can, I can try and, like, on the outside figure this stuff out, but I can't change my own heart. I can't wash my own transgression away. Like, I can't do that. It's not possible. That's why he says, God, be merciful to me. Please. You have to do it. Because I've sinned against you. I, I, I've broken your law, and you're the only one that can provide forgiveness that I need. Right? And then he says in verse 7, purge me with hyssop. He talks about, it goes back to Leviticus and they would use this hyssop to bring cleansing. It's part of of the cleansing laws. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The idea here is that when it's cleansed, it doesn't leave a remnant of that sin. It's completely and entirely new. Like, Like fresh snow. And he says, it's even wider than that. Like David's trying to use words that like, if, if you will forgive me and you can cleanse me, if you can do that, it's, it's a complete cleansing. Meaning the shame of it and the hurt of it and the guilt of it, it also is washed away. There's no remnant. Make, uh, he says, make me hear joy and gladness again. What does that mean? That he hasn't heard joy and gladness, right? Sin promises, <laughs> Sin promises like this is what it's going to bring. Joy and gladness shall fill your heart. And we always use that verse out of context. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. The, per, the point of that story is a guy who got prideful and built bigger barns. And he's like, ah, we're going to enjoy it. And then he died the next day. It's not this encouragement. Yeah, party it up, because tomorrow you might die. So just eat, drink, whatever you want. That's not what the text is saying at all. And so here, he says, I, I, I used to hear joy and gladness. And ever since this has happened, I haven't. Sin has driven a wedge between the joy of the Lord and and me. I can't find it. Lord, would you restore that? And look at this verse, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Right? When, When Nathan comes in and says, you are the man and punches him in the face with truth, it's as if every bone in his body broke and he says, I am undone and collapses. And he says, Lord, if you will cleanse me, The bones that you have broken, those are going to rejoice and be healed again. Hide your face from my sins, blot out my iniquities. This verse, verse 10, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What is he talking about? He's talking about renewal. He's talking about renewal, a recreation, a right standing again. David is saying, "Lord, the only remedy, the only remedy for this type of sin and what I've been going through, it's repentance. And here I am repenting. I'm repenting, Lord. I'm turning, and and I'm coming back to you, Lord. I'm not. I'm not going to keep going down this road. I, I I realize that I have been in sin, and Lord, I repent. I repent." something very personal that David wrote, God saw fit, right? This was picked long after David was dead. This psalm was picked specifically to be included within the canon of scripture. Why? Because God is teaching us what it looks like to repent. He's teaching us what it is to repent. And when we repent, your relationship with God is restored, right? Notice what he said. If you will cleanse me, I will be made whiter than snow, Right, right then, cleansed, restored, put back together, whole again. And that's, guys, repentance restores our relationship with God. It does. Not because of how how wonderful you are at it, but because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Because of what Jesus has done for us. He died to redeem. Our sexuality, those sexual sins and things that we've gotten into and fallen apart. And we're like, man, even this. And God's like, yeah, I want that. I died for that. I know that. I know that's your struggle. I know that's your temptation. But, but listen, you have been saved from the power of sin in your life. You're not removed from the presence of sin. We still live in this world. But the power of it does not exist anymore for the Christian. Meaning you can say No. Because you have the Holy Spirit living and residing inside you. A power that raised Christ from the dead. And so he the encouragement for us is to repent. The foolish thing to do is to keep walking on that wheel, just grinding it out every single day. Because the hope of the message and what, what it tells us is that, man, it's coming back. God saw fit To give Samson a second chance. Did you know that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 31, it's called the Hall of Faith. Guess who's there? And what more shall I say, he says. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Did you catch whose names were in there? Samson and David. Two men that failed miserably were called later in their life men of faith. So whatever sin you've been caught up in, it does not mean your destiny is, is written in stone, like you're destined to suffer forever. There's renewal. And renewal comes through repentance. Repentance. Asking God for forgiveness. And then turning away from your sin. Like, I don't think we, I think sometimes we underestimate the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. We say like, well, God, you don't understand how, how dark this goes or how deep this goes. You don't know, like the depths of the things I think about or or what I've been involved in. And God says, I absolutely do. And I still offer you redemption. And I still offer you the same blood that is offered to anybody else, the blood of his own son. So David admits his sin, and he says, God, I'm guilty. And there's only one person who can wash me clean, and that's you. So Lord, would you please forgive me? The Psalm goes on, and he says, do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. What an interesting sentence. What did Jesus die to do so that the presence of God would be with us always, and that the Holy Spirit would dwell with us always? Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And then he says in verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of it. Not only the sin like that I carry, but God, the guilt I feel every single day. Would you please deliver me from it? Right? He delivers us completely white as snow, no remnant, meaning the shame of it, the guilt of it. It's gone. And then he says in verse 15, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall go or show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. What does he say? Lord, restore my worship of you. Restore my worship of you where sin has robbed me of being able to worship you in spirit and in truth where I felt unworthy to even open my mouth to praise you. God, restore that to me because I need that desperately. That's what I need. If you wanted bowls and and you wanted sacrifice, I would do that. But I know that's not what you want. What you want is for me to be broken and I am. So God, please restore me. Restore me repentance comes as we are broken over our sin, right? That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five. He said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall, be, uh, shall they, they shall receive comfort. It's not that we just mourn all the time. We're so sad. He says, blessed are those who mourn over their sin and who are broken over it. Why? Because they're going to receive comfort from the Holy Spirit. God doesn't leave you there. He says, I'm going to comfort you with grace, with mercy. That's how good God is. God doesn't want just some outward show. What God wants is a a change of heart. That's what he wants. And and it's something I can't change. But what I can do is is rend my heart. Remember, he says, "Don't, don't tear your clothes. Don't just like rip your garments. He's like, that's not what I want. I want a ripped heart. A ripped heart for the Lord. That's what God desires. Because in that, God can restore. God can bring healing. But until that, like pride hardens it and hardens it and hardens it. And then eventually God just crushes it. And that's a, you know, you know, sexual sin is a gnarly thing. But it's not unredeemable. That is not the unforgivable sin. Did you know that? There's one. One. And that is the rejection of the Holy Spirit. It's the rejection of the Holy Spirit. That's the only sin that will keep you from going to heaven. Right? God doesn't keep you from going to heaven. Unrepented sin and unconfessed sin is what will keep people from going to heaven. Sin is what casts people out of heaven, not God. And so I want to encourage you tonight. If you got, you know, wherever you're at, man, I don't know. We all come from such different places. Whether you grew up in a really bad purity culture, and so you feel like, I don't even know what to do with this, and I feel like I'm trash, and like you're not. Or maybe you're like, I don't even care. Suddenly I do. (laughs) Under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, like this is wrong. Shouldn't be doing this. But I don't know how to get out. The remedy, the Bible tells us, is repentance. It's confession. It's repentance. It's brokenness. Like saying, God, forgive me. And in repentance, guys, there's restoration, whiter than snow. Doesn't mean you don't have scars from it and like you live with some of the consequences. Absolutely. Does sin have consequences? And everybody said, Yes, yes absolutely. The last thing you want is to continue to live with this hidden sin and still dealing with the consequences. Better to have the joy of the Lord restored in your life and you're still dealing with the consequences. Like, yeah, I screwed up. I'm forgiven and I'm dealing with all this junk, but it's okay because God loves me and I'm forgiven. And I'm free from it. I'm not engaged in that anymore. I'm not shackled to it anymore. I'm free. Samson killed more Philistines in that one act when he pushes the pillars over. He kills more Philistines that day and that day of restoration than he ever did in his entire life. So... God can restore. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for um, just this time. I know it's it's a heavy thing. And um, Lord, I, I pray that nothing that was said tonight would would be condemning. Lord, because your your word and your spirit never condemns us. But Lord, you call us and you convict us. You call us to repentance. You call us with just that still small voice. And so, Lord, we're thankful, we're super thankful, I'm super thankful, for the grace that we come under. But not just grace for the forgiveness of sin, but, Lord, there is power to overcome sin. And, Lord, thank you that it's not just about making it to the finish line. Lord, it's about redeeming all things back to yourself, bringing us back, Lord, to that relationship with you. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here that's just struggling, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would minister to them as we as we spend time worshiping you and just closing in this time where we're focused on you, God. If, there's, if there needs to be just a change of heart and, and confession, Lord, I pray, just take this time. That we would take this time to confess our sins to you and be washed and made whole, just as David did. Lord, I'm bearing my soul before you something that was embarrassing and something that he was so ashamed of Lord, you never you never cast shame on him you told him come, like I know and I love what, what Nathan later says, he says your sins have been forgiven, he tells David immediately in that moment of brokenness he, your prophet tells him your sins have been forgiven they are consequences. And so, God, we, we thank you, Lord, that you're a good God who loves us so much and cares for us so much. So, Lord, I pray that whatever was said tonight, Lord, if it was not of you, I pray that it would fade away. And, but, Lord, the things that your Spirit spoke to us, I pray, God, that we would we meditate on those things and uh, rejoice in the joy of